0: Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Hello, hello. I have a wonderful interview for you today. Before we get started on that, I'm going to remind you that this is the last week to sign up for the adventure retreat that is happening October 21st to the 23rd in Orlando, Florida. As a reminder, it is for women physicians. And the goal of this adventure retreat is to come and have fun. You will learn how to become the most confident and balanced, and maybe even unconventional version of yourself over the weekend. And we'll do that by using what we know from neuroscience and how to use fun to incorporate these changes into our life. So, what that means is you come on Friday and I have all the fun planned out for you and we have workshops and coaching and you leave on Sunday feeling 100% sure and capable of changing your life and creating the life and career that you want and the exact steps on how to make it happen for you. The fun, the adventure for this retreat is the VIP experience at Universal Studios and the registration fee is only $2000 and that includes all of this programming, all of the food, the workshops, all of the activities, and the accommodation for Friday and Saturday night at the Omni Orlando Resort. So you can register at ConsciousInMedicine.com forward slash retreat, and the registration actually closes on July 1st. You will not be able to register after that because this is going to be a small group event. So if you want to join us, definitely check the link in the episode details today and be sure to get in. Okay. My interview today is with Dr. Shabon Key and she is a weight loss coach for physicians. She's also an expert in emotional and binge eating. She's a practicing obesity and physician, mother of three kids, and an avid runner. Through her coaching and her weekly podcast, Weight Solutions for Physicians, she helps physicians go from feeling overwhelmed and out of control with their eating to finding relief from stress and binge eating. And she has a program that is currently enrolling right now for weight loss and you can find out all the information at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. And I will leave that link in episode details as well. All right, enjoy. Hi, Siobhan. Thank you for being here with me tonight. I love interviewing fellow podcasters because I just think (laughs) it is a lot of fun and it's weird for me to be on the other side when I'm being interviewed. So I love to interview other people who don't who aren't used to being interviewed. So this will be really fun, I think, for both of us. Super fun. So you have done a lot of different things in your career so far. And so I always love to hear about where self-doubt and imposter syndrome has been the most prevalent for you. Mm. I think
1: like when I was thinking about doing this interview, self-doubt and imposter syndrome, I think, is an ongoing thing. And what I was going to share is how it's really come in waves. And what I can see when I look back over my career and all the different things I do is kind of deal with it in one spot, and then I start to shift and do something a little bit different, and then it's back, and it's back to deal with. And so what I've really been working on, because it still comes up for me, because I'm still doing different things. Um, and what I'm really working on is recognizing that it's just part of growth. It's part of pushing myself that I don't have to listen to it, but I probably also can't avoid it. <laughs> it's what I'm working on. But it's so funny because the first time I remember imposter syndrome was sitting in the first week of medical school. And I still remember it feeling like so clearly we're in this big um, lecture hall. And it literally felt like as they were in the front introducing us to medical school and telling us about how wonderful it was that we're there and, you know, how select group it was and all that sort of stuff that they talk about. I remember sitting there waiting for the person to walk down the stairs of the lecture hall and like tap me on the shoulder. And like, I had no idea what imposter syndrome was at that point, but it was that profound of a feeling of like, I'm pretty sure their mistake was made. Mm-hmm. And then I probably shouldn't be sitting here. And pretty soon they're going to figure it out. <laughs> and uh, and so I remember that in med school. I don't remember. I'm trying to think when it kind of settled down in med school when I finally accepted that it was okay that I was there. But then it's come up at each of the different stages. Like I remember the first week, like the first week or being on call the first time for internal medicine, which was my first rotation as a resident, as an R1 and being called in for like a VTAC or query VTAC and like feeling so incredibly out of my element and not even knowing what to do, not in the like medical side, that was one thing, but not even knowing what, like, do I call people for this now? <laughs> do I, like, what is my role now that's changed? And uh, so like, so much doubt. And then I re- the next time I had a ton of it was when I was a, gra- a new grad, I was in practice And I was doing emergency medicine and that like practicing emergency medicine gave me so much self-doubt and anxiety. Um, And I remember talking to one of my now practice partners, but she was a few years ahead of me and also doing emergency medicine. And we're in like more of a rural, a smaller uh, urban hospital where we kind of do everything. But I remember her telling me, you know what, the anxiety lasts for three years in emergency. And then after three years, you start to trust yourself more. And it was really close to that. It was like three years of like going to bed after a late shift and being like, oh my gosh, like, what if that's that? What if that was that? And what if I actually missed that? And did I do that? Like all this doubt and thinking again, that there's probably people sitting there having conversations about me saying, oh, geez, like, did you see what she missed? And like, why doesn't she get that? And never, like I had this feeling that like, they must be noticing that I don't belong here, but nobody's like gotten the, the balls to tell me that I don't belong and, and tell me I shouldn't be working in Emerge. Like, I remember that and and it was like so uncomfortable. And then, then all that got better, medicine got better, medicine started feeling better. I'd practiced it for enough years. And then I decided to do some obesity medicine and same thing came mm. up again of like, who am I to be creating an obesity medicine program? And, you know, am I the, do I actually know what I'm doing here? do I know enough to be doing this? Um, all those thoughts. And then that got better. <laughs> and then I decided to start coaching and have my own podcast. And I would say that, I think, you know, that was probably one of the most anxiety provoking things I've ever done. I don't know for -hmm. you when you started your podcast if it, but for, I'm a relative introvert and pretty private person to speak openly about things and openly about my own weight struggles was like really challenging, but I don't think it bothered me as much because maybe I was starting to get used to the, the self-doubt, like I'd had it dealt with it knew that it eventually goes away over so many times in my career i think it was anxiety provoking but i kind of didn't panic uh, i think i looked at it as more of just part of the process
0: hmm. i think that's such a really that's a good point to highlight is that it never like in all of these different transitions that you had it never it doesn't go away like as, as soon as you pivot it comes back but over time what we make it mean evolves Mm -hmm. for most of us usually. And same thing for me where I still have the doubt it still comes up, but I don't make that mean that I'm not good enough. I just make it mean that I have a human brain that is going to doubt sometimes. And I think that's a really important shift, at least for me, is that kind of how it's been for you more recently?
1: Yeah. And I think honestly, like learning, coaching helps with that, Mm -hmm. right? Understanding how our brains work. Um, And probably too, honestly, what's helped me in my own self-doubt and my own imposter syndrome stuff is coaching enough physicians and seeing how prevalent it is in all of us. And what it's made me realize is the physicians that we're looking at and going, oh, my gosh, what do they think of me? And do they think that I did this poorly? Or they're so much smarter than me. They're so much more well-read. Those same physicians are having very similar thoughts. Or there's a very high likelihood that they're having similar thoughts. Maybe not about you, but maybe about somebody else, or maybe about a different area. Like it's so so prevalent, and I think that's probably helped me uh, normalize it in my own life. Is just seeing it.
0: Yeah, I think that if nothing else, this podcast that you know interviewing other doctors about imposter syndrome has has the same. Like you just said, has been a gift to me because it's so amazing how this our stories are all so similar it all, it makes it really, really obvious that no one person is the real imposter, right? We always Mm -hmm. like think like, no, I am the real true imposter, but we all think that it's just that so, so few of us talk about it. And I don't know if that's something that throughout your um, different transitions, like was the doubt ever anything you felt comfortable sharing with anyone, or did you ever feel like it was something you could talk about with your peers
1: Yeah. You know, I don't remember in med school, that's going to be a little bit while ago. I feel like I probably didn't talk about it, but then too, I think I believed it more, right? Mm -hmm. Like I literally thought somebody was coming to tap me on the shoulder and tell me there's been a grave error and that letter should never should have come. So I probably wouldn't have. Um, I think the time I remember talking more about it was as a new grad, once I was actually in practice. And I, what I credit that to is having a really good community of physicians around me. Like I'm lucky to work in a, uh, and practice in a community where everybody is so supportive and it's a fairly tight knit physician community. So through residency and then through early years of practice, I developed relationships with people where I felt safe to, like, I could phone them and say, okay, this may be stupid, but like, my brain keeps rehashing this. Can we go Mm -hmm. run through it and people who I really respected their opinions. Um, and I, when I had those relationships, I was able to bring it up and talk about it, uh, without fear of, like, I knew they didn't think I was an imposter is maybe, Mm -hmm. and I don't know why my brain was able to think they didn't, but the, the other people (laughs) were having conversations about me, but, uh, yeah. I think that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. I think the more we talk about this stuff and the more we normalize it as part of the experience, uh, the better and the easier it is to still live it, but disregard it, not necessarily buy in.
0: Yeah. I think that's really true for me too, is that being able to tell someone that I was feeling this way and have someone look at me in the eye and say, like, I've had that exact same fear is such a weight lifted off of our shoulders, I think, to realize like, oh, okay, like someone who I really respect and I think is a really good doctor doubts himself. that must mean that maybe it's okay too that I do it. Mm-hmm. Did your doubt ever impact your ability to enjoy medicine or did that cause any issues for you clinically?
1: I would say maybe like in those early years of practicing emergency medicine, I remember intense anxiety which was born of self-doubt. So the, the few times when I perceived that I missed something, and I say perceived because I don't think all of them were actually true, that I, I truly missed it. But hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And uh, when you get the patient, you have that colleague, hey, do you remember so-and-so that you saw two nights mm-hmm. ago? <laughs> Those conversations. Um, when I perceived I'd missed something, I remember like a week of like just intense anxiety about it. Like just this, like, and like difficulty sleeping because my brain was rehashing. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And all this, even in when the, when I already knew the outcome and outcome was fine, like they had come back to emerge, which is what we tell patients to do. And it had been, you know, caught or diagnosed that time. Um, I still remember like a good week of like really raking myself over the coals about it. Um, and I think that was the, I think that was born of the, would another doctor not have made the same mistake? Like mm-hmm. if I was a, a good emergency doctor, this shouldn't be missed. Or I think really when I look back at the mindset, it probably was a good emergency doctor doesn't miss anything, mm-hmm. which is not true or realistic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that we, this comes up a lot among the women I coach for sure, that there is this expectation that if you're not perfect in every way and reading every single journal that ever comes out and, you know, all knowing everything that come, that there is to know about your specialty at all times, then you're not enough. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to unlearn that mindset. And I think that especially in a, in, in a field like emergency medicine, where, I mean, it, 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 it I'm I'm sure it feels very heavy. Like if you miss something, this is life and death. Right. And, And I think a lot of specialties feel that way, but emergency medicine is one that it's a big deal. How are you able to navigate that, that burden and, and maybe how your identity as a human and a doctor fits into that?
1: Mm hmm. It's an interesting question. So I navigated it by talking to people, Mm -hmm. like having good friends that also were working in emergency. And I could say to them, look, this one's really bugging me. Like, can I run this case past you and talking through it and kind of assessing would they have done anything different? And I think, you know, that wasn't all born out of imposter syndrome. I think like, that's probably a good portion of how you kind of learn, right? Because the thing Mm -hmm. when you finish and you're in your own practice is you can be reading all you want, but you kind of lose that touch of what other people are doing practically. And what you know, reading is one thing, but the practical of how do I apply that, you kind of lose out on when you're used to being a resident and always have somebody helping you do that application. And so I think for me, the talking to colleagues and running cases past them and Reviewing the tough ones played that role for me to get kind of a, you know, kind of a sounding board to check in and make sure I felt like I was actually on the track I wanted to be. It's interesting when you say, how did you manage it as kind of like a human? Because when I look back, hindsight being twenty twenty, on those early years of practice, I don't think I spent a whole lot of time thinking about myself as a human or as mm-hmm. an individual. Like I was, you know, there to work and like, you know, I'd do call and then pick up an extra emerge shift and uh, add in some extra half days as locums. Like I was just working the whole time. And when I wasn't working, I think I was um, probably using more maladaptive type behaviors to try to manage and that sounds worse than what it was, but basically, <laughs> was like, we'll just leave it hanging. People wonder what those were. But it was, uh, you know, like, just like laying on the couch, like exhausted and unable to do anything and too tired to cook. So we ordered our pizza in. But um, yeah, I don't think I handled it very well back then. I think I handle it a lot better now.
0: Yeah. And I think we all that's a, probably a similar story for many and and certainly mm-hmm. for me as well. And because we do lose our humanity, I think. And I think it's partly, if not mostly how we're trained, it's kind of like, that's how it happens. Like shed your humanity in medical school. And then in residency, you forget how to do anything but work. And then you're in an attending and you're, you think that's just how life is like your whole world mm-hmm. is being a doctor. So I think that actually shifts into my next question which is, you know, you've created what, what I think we could call somewhat unconventional life, meaning you've kind of mm-hmm. carved out your own career in medicine that involves things that are outside of medicine with the podcast and the coaching. So how did you go from someone who was all about work all the time, picking up all the shifts to the life you have now um, And you can go on a little bit about that about what your life looks like now in contrast to that
1: yeah you know it's interesting because that shift in its own right caused a lot of kind of imposter syndrome because until i decided to do the podcast and decided to start uh, coaching physicians i had never ever considered doing something outside of medicine like, I was, like, I'm doing full-service family medicine, and that's just the way it's going to be. And in my mind, I was, like, at some point, I'm probably going to give up obstetrics, like, and maybe, like, then do more academic teaching type, like, pick up a different family medicine type role. Um, And the first step was doing the obesity medicine, and that was, more, like, I view that as still part of medicine, but it definitely was outside of the box when I started doing it. Nobody else in the my community was doing like obesity medicine and i really actually remember fearing kind of like judgment of like will they think i'm a wackadoo because i'm you know doing weight loss am i going to get lumped in with people that do like just the kind of lose weight quick scheme type stuff versus like actual true obesity medicine so that in its own right had like self-doubt and it was an identity shift and it was definitely stepping out of the box of like what I viewed full service family medicine looked like and then when I decided I think honestly I probably would never have made the kind of addition to coaching and let myself do things that you know are somewhat risky like you put a ton of effort in and you don't actually know if it's going to work versus medicine I knew if I add this many patients I have you know this much of income If I, you know, do more call, I get, you know, we'll have more deliveries have like, it's a predictable model. But I think what helped me be able to do that or even consider it was having a coach. So back in 2016, I hired my first life coach well before I ever even remotely contemplated it. And I hired him because he'd done a workshop uh, locally for us and I think I was so incredibly burnt out right then and didn't know it. And um, you know I had three little kids at home was trying to do, keep up with practice. I think I'd stopped emergency medicine by then after my third kid but still doing odds, still doing office, all that stuff. And I was so burnt out. Like I remember being in that session that he did and he did like a mindfulness like kind of meditation and like, it just felt like such a relief to focus that little bit on feeling better um, that it almost kind of made me teary. And I was almost, I was just like, whatever that was, I need more of that. Cause I think I, it made me realize how how barely I was hanging on at that point. Um, and uh, so I hired him and that was the first time I learned that you know, small little changes can have big ripple effects, that everything doesn't have to change all at once to feel better. And it really gave me a lot of empowerment in how I felt and how I experienced medicine moving on. Um and I think it then gave that gave me the foundation to consider when I hit a patch where I'm like, okay, either we had just bought a a building to practice out of, they've been like, you know, we'd renovated it so like cash flow stuff, I was like, okay, either I need to be working more, which means like more patients, more notes to do more paperwork to do more shifts to fit in. Or I need to think about something else is like to sort of diversify how I approach my work. And that helping physicians with weight was something I'd always wanted to do ever since I started doing obesity medicine, because I knew what it was like to be a physician. Who couldn't figure out their weight which by the way that's another imposter syndrome the first time i went mm-hmm. to an obesity medicine conference as a physician who i lost some some of my weight but i hadn't fully figured it out and i remember walking into that big hall of physicians and nurse practitioners and stuff who are interested in obesity feeling like everybody must be looking at me like mm-hmm. i don't belong here so interesting but um Yeah. So the, I, while I did obesity medicine, I was like, I want to figure out some way to help other physicians because I know how hard it is for physicians to get help with their weight and how much we struggle and suffer and how our lives make it hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, I think where those, the combination of those things allowed me to be like, you know what, I think I could do this and I think I'd really like it and step outside. But, But for a long time, I didn't tell many people what I was doing. <laughs> I kept yeah. a little bit on the down low because <laughs> again, you're know, like, just like I said, with, when I did the obesity medicine program and started that, I was like worried that other physicians were going to think I was a little out there. And so then, when I was podcasting and like doctors don't podcast, was kind of my mindset
0: mm-hmm. back then,
1: back when I started it. Um, and, and so again, it seemed totally out there and I wasn't sure what reactions would be. But uh, it's been totally worth it. It's been like the, the opportunity to have these conversations and to help other physicians is completely worth any self-doubt I've gone through.
0: Yeah, I can resonate with that for sure. And I think what I love that you said, we we do we are so scared about what other doctors are going to think of us. And then what we also said a few minutes ago is that all they're thinking about is themselves probably because they're either burnt out or full of doubt or so exhausted. Like they're not thinking about us. And even if they are like, it's who cares, you know? And I think that's kind of where I got to the point where um, I just decided that I'm going to do all this crazy stuff. And there's probably a doctor out there who's going to out, who's going to see it and maybe think that it's cool and realize that they can do it too. So I think there's a lot of that going on. You know, mm-hmm. so, so I, I love to see other doctors like you too, like just deciding that there are other things that I can do and like, and be good at. And I, it's, it, it's like, it's okay that I can do that outside of medicine. So I think it's mm-hmm. really inspiring.
1: And I think too, you know, letting ourselves believe that it doesn't impact us as doctors, like
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I think there's that belief of maybe you're not a real doctor if you because there's so much identity stuff tied up in yeah. being a physician right that if we try if we do other things are we still a real doctor and I've had to kind of process that at multiple levels like when I gave up emergency medicine and then most recently I gave up obstetrics uh, just just in December I decided I was it was time for me to stop doing call but again it's just another layer of like okay am I still a real doctor if mm-hmm. I'm not like running in in the middle of the night and Um, you know, being in situations where I need like emergency type procedures and skills work. And what I came to is, you know what, I think I can be good with that. I contributed to that for 15 years of my career, Mm -hmm. a decent amount of time. And I can say, it's not that I'm giving something up or that I'm going to be missing something. It's that, you know, I, that's a sort of chapter that I'm ready to close after doing it for quite a good length of time.
0: Yeah. And I think it really is time to rewrite the narrative about what a doctor should look like and what a doctor, you know, quote unquote should be doing because it, there's a reason that there's so many doctors leaving medicine now. And it's because for so long it was, it's been this cookie cutter way. You need to work practice full-time and work 80 hours a week, or you're not, don't do it. And I think that it's really helpful that being what a doctor looks like now can be in so many different things. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, like, uh, you know, it's tough cause I have, cause I was totally trained in that environment, right? Like we just like good doctors work hard and work all the time and sacrifice themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I've personally experienced the, you know, the ups and downs of that, of like, sometimes that feels super fun. And it feels exciting to do that, but then other times there's like profound burnout from it. Mm-hmm. And it's it was when you're approaching life that way, it's really hard to have like a steady state where you can actually put in self care for yourself and things like that. It's like you're doing these huge swings of like working hard. It's great, burnt out, need to pull back on things, and then hey, I have space. Yes, I'll do that for you. And <laughs> working hard, and um, And so I think like over the years, what I've discovered or shifted my thinking to be is I think, you know, if we have more physicians, but physicians who are actually treating themselves as human beings, Mm
0: -hmm. the
1: medical system is better off. Because burnt out physicians, they don't have lasting power, right? Like if somebody's continually burnt out, they're far more likely to leave or have to take a leave, right? Like for medical reasons. Um, But also they're not, like the research is pretty good that if you're really burnt out as a physician, you're probably less likely to be like engaged with your patients, your Mm -hmm. chance of making mistakes are higher, all that stuff gets impacted. Um, And so I think the society does better when physicians know how to care for themselves
0: yeah. A hundred percent. And is set it, boundaries. Yeah. That's, that is a big one. Learn to say no, <laughs> no yeah. people pleasing. Yeah. All those things. Good. Well, this has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Do you have yeah, a program, um, available? Do you want to, do you want to maybe talk briefly about that just in case I have sure. anyone interested? Sure. So, uh, I have a
1: podcast called weight solutions for physicians And then my program that's a coaching program for physicians only is called Thrive Academy for Physicians. And what it's about is like, let's not just lose weight, because we've all tried that, but let's learn skills that actually let us thrive in weight loss, where what we're doing to lose weight respects us as an individual, and actually makes our life better, not Mm -hmm. like feeling more restricted. And at the same time, let's thrive in life because the two are completely connected. You can't just focus on the weight loss while you're totally burnt out and spent and barely hanging on over here. It just isn't sustainable. And if we're gonna do it, we want everything to be sustainable, right? We don't want to just lose weight for a couple weeks and then gain it back again. We want to figure out the tools to do it for the last time. And I think a thriving approach where we put a really positive mindset into whatever we're doing for weight loss is the way to make it sustainable.
0: That sounds excellent. And we'll put a link in the episode notes, but do you want to say it just for people who are auditory learners?
1: Sure. So it's the, my main website is weight solutions for physicians.ca and then people can just click on the work with me tab to get to information
0: about thrive Academy. Excellent. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. Well, thanks for having me on. Hey there. Just wanted to take some quick time here to let you know that if you have been thinking about doing a podcast and it feels really overwhelming and you like the idea of podcasting, but the other stuff like the editing and production feels too overwhelming, I wanted to let you know about the people who now edit and produce my podcast, which is Pretty Easy Podcasts. And for the first year and a half of my podcast, I was doing everything myself. And I had tried to contract out editing and it was, really got some really, really bad results. So I was hesitant to try again, but I'm so glad that I did because working with pretty easy podcasts has been so amazing. They can get your shows recorded, posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. You could record from home, your office or the park, or really anywhere. And then they totally cater to your schedule and it's just so easy to work with them. I cannot say enough good things. So if it's been on your mind to do a podcast, then definitely check out Pretty Easy Podcast at prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. It's super affordable and it's so fun working with them. So definitely check it out.